Lord, uh, just as we were finishing singing uh, a few minutes ago, uh, we need you to be near to us. And um, oftentimes, much of our lives uh, are marked by um, being so ashamed of who we are uh, that we uh, believe that there's a distance between us and we even create distance between us uh, with you and even with others. So Lord, I just ask that you would be near, uh, that your spirit would be in this room this morning. Uh, we know that it is, but that w it would be active um, and that it would uh, lead us into the depth of our own hearts, into the depth of your heart for us, into the depth of the truth in such a manner that we would uh, leave here today um, having an authentic experience of you and really feeling like we communed with you today uh, and with one another. So. We're dependent on you, uh, Father, for all of that. Uh, we can't manufacture uh, any of it. So please move in that way. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. We, uh, if you got a Bible, Colossians 3, are going to be spending some time in Colossians 3. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we've been in Colossians for quite some time now. Um, and last week, uh, Russ talked about the first half of a verse, and we're going to talk about the second half of a verse today, uh, which is Colossians 3, that's two verses, 3, 8, and 9. And Russ addressed uh, the issues of anger and of rage and of malice. And today we're going to be looking at uh, slander, filthy language, and lying to one another, something that I'm sure none of us can relate to, especially those of us who had Kansas going all the way to the final game. Um, yeah, I slandered some poor kid from Kansas the other day and I don't even know him. Uh, so let's read uh, Colossians uh, 3, 5 through 10 and then we'll kind of launch into what we're gonna talk about about those three things. Uh, 3 verse 5, it says, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, Lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such, these, or all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator." Next week, we're going to launch into what, is, what does this mean to the new self? What does it mean to put on things? This week is the last week of uh, taking off, uh, putting to death, removing the things that are the characteristics, uh, the practices of the old self uh, and the ways in the life that we once lived before being in Christ. So this morning, we're going to unpack this idea, and I'm, I've kind of phrased it around this because uh, slander, filthy language, lying are all tongue issues. They're word issues. And um, I really want us to start, we're going to kind of talk on, on kind of two philosophical levels, and then we're going to enter into the practicalities of slander, filthy language, and lying. But it's important. We've got to start with, with the premise here. So uh, it's this, the power of the tongue, the power of words, the impact that the words that come forth from our mouths have in particular on our relationships with one another. This letter is being written to the Colossian church as a result of the fact that they are being uh, persuaded by some teaching that is having a dramatic impact on their relationships to one another. So Paul is combating that teaching 
uh, with a teaching of his own. So I want you to hear that, that, that our words, and this is probably like, okay, yeah, rocket science here, Dave. Our words have dramatic impact on our relationships, on the nature of our relationships. So the first thing is this, uh, the power of words. Um, and this was, I'll tell you, the Lord kind of took me through the, through the ringer this week in preparing this. Um, it would be hard to look at my own life. I don't even have to speak about yours. I can just talk about mine. And I've watched this happen in a lot of other lives. To look at my own life and see anything that has caused greater pain and destruction to relationships than the use of my words. That I have literally destroyed people with things I've said. And I've been destroyed emotionally by people's words. The cool thing is, and it's an encouraging thing, uh, and it's, it's, we're not going to talk a lot about it this morning, but it's also been a place, words have been a place of great healing and great life uh, for me. We're going to camp out on the other side <laughs> today of what happens with uh, our words as far as pain and destruction are concerned. But it's, it's pretty important, uh, and I, I want us to, to push off from there. Will you consider that your words carry a lot of power. I don't care who you are. It would be easy for you to think because of me and my position standing up here. Okay, of course his words, he's the, he's the preacher guy. He has power. No, no, no. All of our words have power. My little son's words, when he tells me he loves me, have power over me. And I'd encourage you that every moment, we kind of, we kind of do this with our words and our language. We kind of treat our conversations like, well, there's like casual conversations and then there's like really supernatural conversations, you know, where like people are crying and talking about the deepest fears and insecurities of their hearts. I would encourage you to eliminate categories. That anytime you're standing in front of a human being who has a spirit, has a soul, even if that soul is not a soul that is Christ in them, the hope of glory like we've talked about earlier, that you are having a supernatural conversation. That that's actually going on. That there is no insignificant word that gets spoken between two people. Sometimes, some of the things that I've said in passing, people have brought up months later on both ends of the scale saying, when you said that, man, it was like you breathed life into me. I'm like, I don't even remember saying it. Or when you said that, it destroyed me. I don't even remember saying that. Please, 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 you and I wake up. When you are opening your mouth with another person, something significant is going on. Some of the imagery and metaphor that scripture gives us, I'll read a few of these things. Psalm 64, David describes his enemy's tongues like swords and their words like deadly arrows. James 3 gives a whole excursus on this uh, and taming of the tongue. He talks about the tongue is like a bit that controls a horse. Whatever way you pull it, the whole body goes. Or like a rudder on a ship. Even though the wind is in the sails, that little rudder is the thing that's controlling the direction of the entire ship. In James 3, 5, he says it like this. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. I mean, let the power of that sentence hit. Have you ever had your life set on fire just because you said something? Where you, you it, it was out there and it was like 
that spark burned a forest down, a forest of relationships. Proverbs 15:4 says, "The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit." I have brought healing with my words. I have brought destruction with my words. Words have incredible power. Therefore, we need to be very, very careful how we use them. You ever try to reel one in? Sentence? Oh, uh, I'm saying this and it's, I can see by the fires that are starting behind your eyes that I shouldn't be saying this and oh no. I uh, was sitting with my girlfriend's dad at the time uh, in college, first time I met him. Uh, big man, like NFL lineman big, um, like 290, like big round belly that you could crack an egg on, calves like drumsticks that a Norseman would eat. I mean like gigantic human being. And uh, he had been talking all day and I got educated in rural Indiana, which meant my historical education uh, involved a, a videotape going into a thing and the lights going off. So I don't know a lot about history, or at least I didn't at that time, um, but I like to pretend. Uh, we were talking all day and he kept saying about this program, the Battle of the Bulge, that was gonna be on tonight. He's really excited, he's taping it. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, acting like I know what he's talking about. And so we sit down to watch the program and uh, you see where this is headed. Uh, I say to him, so is this, a, is this a, like a, a weight, like a weight con like control, like losing, or like try to get, and uh, saw the spark turn into a blaze. Uh, he was gracious with me. He could have crushed me like a cartoon character. Um, he said to me, no, no, Dave, it's, uh, it's actually a very historical battle. Uh, I believe it was in World War II. And he said, it's pretty pivotal. And um, so, you know, I'm a historian. I study this stuff. Uh, he said, and, and oh, by the way, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with my weight. <laughs> and uh, it was out. No reeling it back in. Little freshman in college was melting like ice cream cone into said couch. Uh, it was uncomfortable. I wanted the words back. Uh, I had a stain on my tooth growing up. It was a birthmark. Thank you, Mom. Looked like brownies that you ate and didn't realize that you had brownies on your tooth. I'm talking significant stain. Uh, my friend Craig Moore, best friend. I had this until like two years ago. Um, I got good at smiling so that no one could see it. My best friend Craig Moore decided to nickname my tooth in seventh grade. To say what he nicknamed it would be to use filthy language, so just imagine something filthy tooth and brownies. You can do the math. Uh, that lasted for quite a good chunk of seventh grade, and uh, I was devastated. I cried myself to sleep every night for two months. I would not tell my mother what was going on because telling wasn't cool. Finally, she extracted the truth from me and uh, then called Cindy Moore. And uh, that was that. Um, although it's still, uh, Craig and I are good friends. And even in college, we would joke about it. But his words had power. They devastated my identity as a seventh grader. Um, do you understand the power of your tongue? Do you understand the power of your words? Do you think about what you say. 
Who wields the power of your tongue? Do you wield it or does the Lord wield it? Job gives us some insight into this and I'm inviting you to really think hard right now, guys. <laughs> Job, after sitting with his friends after a very, very hard day, or couple, says to his friends, who has helped you utter these words and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? He's beginning to crack open this idea and I'm gonna crack it open for us this morning that, that my words flow from a spirit. They flow from a disposition. They don't just come from nowhere. Nothing I say is cavalier. It's stemming from a disposition of my heart. Paul says that in Ephesians, he talks about, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Jesus says it to his own disciples. When you're brought before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time. We're talking momentary, <laughs> in real time, what you should say. It means this, literally, as I'm doing this this morning, that if the Lord convicted me in this moment to say something differently, that I would do that. That I'm not, I'm not wed to this, <laughs> even. Even though I believe he gave me this. That, that my tongue is to be an instrument that literally is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in real time in every conversation I'm having. I don't care how trivial you think it is. That that's really possible that that, in fact, is a mark of the disposition of our new self. So first thing, words have power. Please, please don't believe the lie that they don't. Second thing, our words come from somewhere. That our words have an origin. They're birthed from someplace. Joel, he teases me, said, you've got to say it, stop saying the word birth. Uh, that our words spring forth, how's that? from the disposition of our hearts and our minds. So Colossians 3, if you're open to it, let's read for a second. Paul lays it out very clearly in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking about a new self, a new disposition. You are now raised. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, hearts and minds here, on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God so the new disposition, disposition, this new self, is a self that literally has died. The old self has now died, and a new self has been raised, hearts and minds fixated on this new life. Galatians 5 goes on to talk about it. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That this new disposition is not only something that we have, this is our life now, but it's something that we need to stay in step with. This new disposition, you and I, if you're a Christ follower this morning, being in Christ, it's the grounds for putting to death these things. It's where the power is to put to death these things. What I'm saying is, is you can't stop slandering people. You can't stop using filthy language and you cannot stop lying outside of experiencing a supernatural change in your disposition. You need a new self to do so. And you need to stay in step with that new self to not revert back to the old self that will do that at all costs, which we're gonna talk about in a second. Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs 26, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. 
Paul is saying, don't act the fool. You are not the fool anymore. You are a son and a daughter of God, a new creation. I've given you purpose and meaning in life to be doing these things, to be slandering people, to be filthy in your language, to be lying to one another, to do that, thing, to do that habitually, because we're all gonna struggle to do that, but to be doing that habitually, to be continuing in that pattern constantly is inconsistent with who you are now. It's not who I am. I see this mostly when I talk to people about when they go back and try to live with their parents after they've gone to college, but they don't know what they're gonna do, and they go live at home for a little while, and they wonder, why is my mom treating me like I'm 13, <laughs> and why am I acting like I'm 13? <laughs> that I've, I've talked about this many times with my parents. It's easy to become a child again when I'm in their house, that I revert back to a way of behavior, but I'm not, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a man with a wife, with two kids, <laughs> with a mortgage and with taxes, and all those things, that's, that's who I am now. But when I get in the presence of my parents, especially in their home, it's like I go to my closet and I get out my letter jacket and put it back on and, you know, I don't have to think about anything because mom and dad are here. Or you see it with college buddies. I saw a group of 45-year-old guys actually at Moffy's one night and you could tell they were just fighting to relive the glory. But it was like 730 it's like, hey guys, the glory, that happened at about 1 a.m. when you were the age that you should be doing what you're doing right now. But it's hilarious. I do it too. I get together with my college guys once a year and man, yeah, let's do it, man. You know, just live the glory years again. And at 9.30, we're all like <laughs> staring at each other like, dude, have you usually put your kids to bed yet? It's like, yeah, I'm sleepy. Because <laughs> I can't go back there. Something's changed. I'm a new, I'm a different person now. I have a new self. And to go back to even doing those things, there's nothing necessarily even totally wrong in the college buddy sense with what we were doing, but it's just not who I am anymore. It's the same thing with slander, with filthy language, with lying, saying, this is not who you are. Your new self, what it means for you to be in Christ, those things apply to the old self. <laughs> You see, when I, I hear the things I say, when I hear my words, oftentimes it reveals the disposition of my heart, doesn't it? It really shows it, what I really value, what I really carry, care about, where my identity actually is. And I'd encourage you, the disposition, the daily disposition, because ultimately if you're in Christ, your disposition has changed. But you, you may not stay in step with that very well, I don't stay in step with it oftentimes very well. Our daily disposition is either under the guidance of the new self, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under its rule and its control, or it's under the guidance of something else. John 8 talks about this, and we're not even gonna talk about it at length this morning, but just that he goes so far to say it's either under the control of God, your father, or it's under the control of Satan, whom he calls the father of lies, the birthplace of all lies. And we're gonna get into this in a second that every lie you tell, I believe, is a lie that you, you believed first. Every time you lie to somebody, it's because you picked up a lie and you believed it. So where do your words originate from? What I'm asking is, what is the functional disposition of your heart and mind every single day as you walk this earth? 
Do you, are you willing to this morning just for even a second, because it hurts to look at it, see that your words originate from that place? The words you speak to one another, the words I speak to my wife, to my children, to my friends, to my enemies, they originate from that disposition. So, words are powerful. Words come from someplace. They have an origin. And they either stem from our new self, our new disposition, or from our old self, the earthly nature and its practices that Paul is saying, put these things to death, y'all. These things are destroying your relationships with one another. So let's look at these three areas. Slander, filthy language, and lying. And I just said it a second ago, I actually believe all three of these things have to do with lying. That I believe slander, filthy language, and actually perpetrating a lie to someone is, has to do all with lying. And I said it just a second ago, that you have to believe a lie, you have to actually ingest it, you have to imbibe it. What I mean by that is it has to become a part of you, you have to trust it, trust yourself to it, in order to perpetrate that lie against someone else. This is what Satan, if you look at Romans 1, he kind of gives an excursus on this idea that, that the process is one that we're always being invited into exchanging the truth for a lie. That the Lord has given us the truth and that Satan is called in scripture oftentimes the deceiver. Um, he's obviously called in James, the, or uh, yeah, James, yeah, the father of lies. So that it is the work of Satan to step in and to foster lies and to invite us into exchanging those things for, for the truth. This is Romans 1, 21 through 25. He talks about exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We exchange dispositions is what I'm saying. That you and I have the capacity and it's like fractional time frames to set down the new self who we are in Christ and pick up the old self. It's, it's like knee-jerk reaction. But what we're doing is we're exchanging truth and we're taking up a lie. So let's look at slander. Slander, I'm gonna give you a definition. It's oral communication of false or malicious statements injurious to a person's reputation. Seeking to injure someone's reputation to defame someone. So I'm gonna talk to you, I thought through these three categories in my life. I'm gonna talk to you in, these, in these, these statements. Why do we do this, where's the lie, and what does the gospel say? We're gonna do that for each three of these. Why do I do this? Why do I slander somebody else? Why do I seek to defame someone? We defame in, others in order that we may gain fame. That's why I slander somebody. I, fame isn't a good word. Fame, I'm gonna live. <laughs> Glory. We de-glorify someone in order to glorify ourselves. That's why we do it. So where's the lie? Because if, if what I've said is true, that we're being told a lie in order to do this to somebody and we have to pick that lie up, what's the lie we're picking up? Well, it's glory. That our cultural earthly definition is, is that to, to get glory, which really has to do, if we break it down, am I gonna be loved? Am I accepted? <laughs> am I okay? 
that this is where glory lies culturally. It's in being better than everybody else. So what I do in slandering someone is, is if that's really the definition, if that's really, if I'm living out of that old disposition, then I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to make myself look as good as possible, even if that means making you look bad. Whatever it takes. I've picked up that lie that my glory is something out there <laughs> that I still have yet to secure. And slandering is a way to get to it. What does the gospel say? We don't even have to go out of Colossians. Colossians 2 talks about the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That all of our desire for glory, which hear me say, I think that's a good desire. <laughs> Something he's implanted in us. It's what, how we go about getting that that gets busted. That all of our desire for glory is accomplished and fulfilled in the person of Christ. See, for, Second Peter goes on to say that, that if you've forgotten that, that if you have laid down that truth and picked up the lie that your glory is somewhere out there still to be determined, therefore I will slander anybody to get it. I've become nearsighted and blind and forgotten that I've been cleansed of my past sins. I have forgotten the truth of who God is, what Christ did for me, and who I am in Christ now. To slander, I have to believe a lie. I have to leave staying in step with the Spirit like Galatians 5.25 talks about. I have to become nearsighted and blind, forgetting that all of my hope for glory is in Jesus Christ, and that has been accomplished. It's finished. Psalm 137 says, may, the tongue, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. Shut your mouth. <laughs> if I have forgotten who you are, who I am, what you have done for me. May, the t may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. Filthy language. N.T. Wright defines this well. He says, words by which, which by their association or their abusive intent contaminate both the speaker and the hearer. It is allowing anger, malice, and wrath to find final expression in the form of actual words. And I could talk a whole sermon on this because in my former self, which still bleeds into my new self, uh, I have a PhD in coarse joking. Uh, it's true. It's sad. Uh, my imagination has served that old self a lot of days. But it's not just coarse joking, it's gossip. It's derogatory comments. It's lewd behavior. It's like when we talked about greed, and we talked about greed has a wide scope. Filthy language has a wide scope. <laughs> so why do I do it? Why do I use filthy language? Because I want to be funny. Why do I want to be funny? Because funny people are people that people want to be around. Which isn't bad. Again, don't hear me saying, just like glory, being funny isn't bad. But here's where it gets bad. And people that people want to be around are valuable people. And therefore, my value is in my ability to make people like me and want me because I am funny. That means I'll tell a joke at any cost because my value's on the line, right? Because I need you to think I'm funny. Because that makes me valuable to you. So what's the lie in that? Well, the lie is this, that my value comes from what I do. That my value comes from what everyone says about me that I've done something very fundamentally wrong and I've mistaken affirmation, which isn't a bad thing, 
for validation. That you or someone else affirming me is really what validates my life, my existence. So what does the gospel say? Colossians 2. You are full. Your value is constant. 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over every power and authority. The lie is, is you're not full. <laughs> the lie is your value is something out there still to be determined. So tell those jokes and make people laugh because that makes you valuable. Right, Dave? <sighs> See, the cool thing is, is I am funny. I know it. My humor and my imagination and my tongue's expression of it, though, are radically different when I'm living out of the fullness of who I am in Christ. When my humor is obedient, when my tongue and my mind and my wit are obedient to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then I'm free because my value's not on the line. And lastly, don't lie to each other. And I would encourage you, most of you don't think you lie that much. And I think you do. And here's why. Because we've, we've kind of shortened the definition of lying and said lying is like when someone says, hey, were you there that night? And you're like, no. And you were. Like, okay, well, that's a lie because you were there and you weren't. But I, I'd encourage you, let's, let's kind of reel it back a little bit. And I would encourage you to think it on these terms. Lying, the essence of lying is deception. That any time anything I'm doing to deceive someone, to literally make them believe something that maybe is, is even fractionally not true <laughs> is actually a lie. I could tell a hundred stories on myself at this point. Like telling the truth, like 10 truths about a story but leaving out one. I didn't tell any untruths, right? I just left that one out, right? Why did I leave it out? because I was trying to leave it out for a reason. There's a reason behind it, and the reason behind it was is I didn't want you to know that. And why? Because I didn't want you to know that for a reason. What are the reasons? Why do we do it? Why do I deceive people constantly? Two things, fear and pride. Fear. Talk about it for a sec. If you find out the truth, if I really give you full disclosure, something painful is going to happen. And by the way, pain's to be avoided at all costs, right, culturally? Or something I fear is going to happen. Or have you ever done this? Not tell someone or deceive someone in some way because you don't want them to know what's painful because something painful to them might have happened. You know, like I'm going to protect you by not being honest with you. <laughs> I didn't want her to really know about that because if she knew that he was making out with her, then, <laughs> I mean, come on, we've done it, right? Proverbs 26, 27, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. It always comes back to haunt us, doesn't it? I've been caught in way too many lies. <laughs> to not know this at this point. That the pain of recovering from telling someone a lie, from deceiving someone, is so infinitely greater than the original pain of honesty. 
that, that what you believe in being honest and the pain that that's going to cause, it doesn't even measure <laughs> to the pain of trying to recover a relationship because of deception. How about pride? I deceive people because I want them to think something about me that I already think about me. Which is, is I'm pretty freaking amazing. I mean, we are the most self-absorbed narcissist culture probably on the face of the earth. I want you to think something about me because I already think that about me. But I need you to think it about me. So here's how I do it. I embellish. My wife teases me about this all the time. Everybody says, oh, Dave, great storyteller. You tell so many great stories. That's because I have no problem fabricating the truth to fit something uh, in order for the laugh. I leave bad parts out of good conversations. When I talk to somebody, how'd it go? Oh, it was good, it was good. Let me tell you about all the good things I did in that conversation. I didn't tell you about the, when I made him cry because I completely wasn't listening to the spirit and stepped all over him. I'll just tell you about the good parts because I want you to think something about me. And why is because I need you to affirm me in order to validate me. It's the same thing that was going on before with the filthy language. So what's the lie? With fear, it's that God isn't ultimately going to take care of me. That God ultimately isn't who he says he is. He isn't good. That if you knew the truth about me, like he knows the truth about me, because I really don't think he likes me all that much, you would leave me and I'd be all alone. So I'm afraid. I'm deeply afraid of being honest because I know that if I tell you the truth, I might find myself all alone. And a lot of days I feel all alone, even with the Lord. Well, gospel says this. 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. When the love of the gospel, listen to this, when the love of the gospel becomes the currency of our value in relationships, when that's what you and I deal in with one another, not in you scratch my back in this way or this, but when the gospel becomes the currency and the love of the gospel, fear is destroyed in relationships. I no longer have to be afraid because my value is secure. My identity is whole. With pride, it's the same thing. My value's out there somewhere, still to be determined by my performance or the world's affirmation of me. Therefore, I have to go be something ultimately in order to have value. What does the gospel say? Colossians 3, 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, chosen, which means you are not alone, <laughs> holy and dearly loved, holy, you are perfect in my sight because of what my son has done. And dearly loved, I have unconditional love for you. Love that will not fail you, love that will not leave you. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The marks of the new self. Antithetical to filthy language, slander, and lying to one another. For you and I to lie to one another, for us to use filthy language to slander is no longer our disposition. It is not who you are in Christ. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. 
Colossians 2 says it like this, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on the traditions of this world rather than on Christ. Believe it, guys. You are under attack for the truth of your disposition. That you are being perpetrated constantly by Satan. Lies that want to invite you into picking up the old self and living in community with one another out of that place. And when you do, you cannot help but slander. You cannot help but lie. You cannot help but use filthy language because that's the old self. Don't be taken captive. Your words have power to heal and destroy. Your words have an origin. They stem from the true disposition of your, disposition of your heart and mind. And you and I have to believe lies in order to perpetrate them against one another. I have to believe a lie to slander. I have to believe a lie to lie to you. I have to believe a lie to use habitual filthy language. The last thing I'll say is this, and it's a practical piece. Some of you struggle with this. I struggle with it. And it's an encouragement this. It's called, I call it practice hesitation. <laughs> we live in a reactive culture. Shoot from the hip. Never don't have a response to something someone says to you. Don't even think about the response. Just trust what you're going to say, right? Practice hesitation. Ecclesiastes 5 says, don't be quick with your mouth or hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. <laughs> don't be hasty. Just give yourself a moment. Cultivate seeking a check in your spirit. Is what I'm about to say really of you, Lord? Or is it, is it stemming from this old self? Do what Matthew 7 says when it says, ask, seek, and knock that the Lord would reveal to you, am I, am, I, am I staying in step with this new disposition, this new spirit, or have I in a fraction of a second stepped into my old skin? Am I back in my parents' house, living a, a life that I am no longer? Practice hesitation. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard things. Um, they're hard to look at honestly, Lord, because if we do, um, we find that there isn't hardly a part of our lives that they don't surface and that I don't struggle uh, with all of these things. Um, so Lord, I pray that you would be um, convicting but even gentle <laughs> in your conviction of us. Uh, that you would um, show us the places in our lives where uh, slander and filthy language and lying to one another has literally uh, become habitual patterns, areas where we feel fully permitted to just step into the old self, Lord. And I pray that you would show us those areas and that you would gently, like the Father that you are and the loving Father that you are, hold us by our hands, walk us back into the truth of who we are now uh, in you, that we have the capacity to be partakers and, and reflectors of the divine nature. What an amazing promise, Lord. Uh, guide us in that this morning and, and throughout this week. In your name, amen.